Hello and welcome to the Third Space Podcast. This is episode number 39, titled Addressing Soccer. Now, don't get mad, please. But in this episode, we do Bennett Fixes Sports, and I fix soccer. Listen, we need to have this talk. Soccer needs fixing. And you may not like it, but I have some ideas that I think could make the sport better. So that's that's what Daniel and I talk about in the first half of this episode. Uh, even if even if you don't agree, I hope at least you'll be able to imagine the the glory that is the new sport of Bonanza. So ho- hopefully you'll enjoy that. After we talk about that, uh, Daniel and I discuss dressing up. Uh, so it's it's a little less silly of a topic, but it's still a little bit lighthearted. We talk about whether dressing up is important, uh, whether our trend towards casual dress in business and, and other events is a good thing or a bad thing, if there's any moral component to dressing up, and of course we talk about our own personal tastes as well. So that's the episode. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, and I will let Daniel take it away with his excellent intro. Bennett is a host of I the, the, oh, I right. am a host. <laughs> We're both hosts of the Third Space podcast. All right, okay, we pulled it out at the end. Yeah, it was one of the worst starts, and it got to average. Yes, right. Always be improving. That's uh, that's our motto here. So if yeah. you start out dismally, then at least scrounge your way to average. We that's scrounging your way to average. Maybe we should rebrand the uh, third space to yeah. scrounging your way to average. Would be a great epitaph. Yeah, yeah. Epitaph. Here lies Daniel. Scrounged his way to average. Pretty, <laughs> pretty honorable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, I fought for it. You yeah. know, like anyone right. who's scrounging is really uh. They're going for it. You know, they're living there. They're, they're living there. Scrounging life. They're living their yeah. their life. So yeah, it has negative connotations, but I mean, you know, it's scrappy. It's uh, it's it's try. It's like going for it. Yeah, so, finding a way. Putting your effort in there. Right? That's admirable. I saw. Uh, speaking of putting effort in, I saw something interesting the other day that that was very unusual. So I was uh, on the way to the grocery store and. You know, we've talked before about people who stand on the street corner with signs, you know, and you know, for advertising and stuff. Um, we talked about how strange yeah. how strange it is to make yourself into a sign. Uh, yes. And that it was kind of, I thought it was kind of demeaning. But this time I saw a guy on the street corner with a really large homemade cardboard sign, very large. Uh, and he had, you know, hand painted on it. Uh, LinkedIn scammers, AT&T and DirecTV ripped me off. Don't let it happen to you. Uh, okay, and so he's he, he was out there championing and, a cause that he like experienced and wanted to make other people aware. Yeah, and it was like 20 degrees outside. Uh, wow. And he was out there on the street corner, like I guess, warning people about the predations of AT&T and DirecTV. Or the LinkedIn scammers, I'm not sure. Link, yeah, like, I don't... I don't understand exactly who he's pointing the finger at, you know, uh, exa- but he's mad about something, mad enough to stand on a street corner with a homemade sign in 20 degree weather for it. I've never seen something like that before. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, that's some conviction right there. Yeah. You know? And and like, I don't know whether to, like, I think I'm kind of like, all right, man, 
you go, you go, man, do it. Like you, this is a public service announcement, essentially. Like you're warning people from, uh, from the the dangers of things. So I kind of think I'm like, all right, I like this guy. I like him better than, you know, the guy who sometimes stands on the opposite street corner advertising the local pizza restaurant. Right, um, right. Well. What do you think of this then? There is a guy, uh, apparently, this is according to multiple, multiple students, uh, there's several entrances to my school, um, one that I do not take, and I cannot verify this. Uh, he sits out on his lawn chair every morning uh, with a big sign, and it says, you know, insert name of school is racist. Um, and, that, and that's <laughs> your, just kind of like, yeah, my school. Oh, like wow. as, so, so everyone's having to come in with this, like, <clears throat> that's see hilarious. this sign. <laughs> So this yeah. guy has probably some conviction too, right? I mean, it's very similar parallels. Like uh, he has a gripe uh, and I mean, probably less specific of a gripe. Maybe, yes. I, I don't know, actually. I mean, they're both I, like just, you know, limited in how much they're communicating. I kind of doubt that he attended uh, your school, experienced racism, and then is warning people off from it. You know, like, how likely do you think that is? I think, I think it's unlikely. very, very <laughs> unlikely. I think we're situated in a, uh, uh, like, it's a, it's a nice school situated in a, frankly, uh, like a lower income neighborhood. Uh-huh. And so, and it's pretty landlocked because of this. It's situ- I mean, it's almost awkward. It's this gated community. Like on one side is this uh, uh, beautiful campus, and on the other side is a low-income neighborhood. And so, uh, I imagine I don't actually don't know the history of how and where. I mean, now that it's landlocked, but before it was landlocked, were they buying some neighborhoods and you know, yeah, you could say dispossessing people in their home or whatever. I don't I don't really know, uh, but I really really doubt this guy has like an intimate experience with the school. Uh, I think like he just gets annoyed with the traffic. Yeah. I think he knows that it's an affluent school. Um, right. And and there you go. Yeah, like, that's I think the, that enough of the equation. Highly pro highly probable. So yeah, I would. But say again, that... we're speculating a ton. But yeah, yeah, highly probable is. <laughs> I feel good with that. Yeah, obviously, that obviously speculation, and you know. If the story, if this guy's story turned out to be more than just bitterness, like most people's similar stories, then I would change my tune. But, but based on what I've heard, I respect the uh, homemade cardboard Directv uh, complaint guy <laughs> in twenty degree having weather. an actual I mean, experience. Also that's keep the, in mind, that's the also keep in yeah. mind your uh, your race complainer guy. You know, he sits out in his lawn chair, and you know it's probably sixty five or seventy degree weather in the mornings. Um, yeah, he might just drink his coffee, watch the traffic, in some ways, kind of kind of like it, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Meditate on his, you know, his imagined race enemies and everything. Like he's got it made. Whereas this guy is, you know, out there shivering, standing on the street corner. There's no and, pleasure in that. Yeah, right. I would like, think anyway, he, he except is, for some sense of justice that he's calibrating. I don't know. Yeah, there would right. be no pleasure in that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely on my on my guy's what, side. In fact, I think what, I won't get AT&T or DirecTV. No. <laughs> Good. You should let him know. You should make a sign and toss it to him. You convinced me. <laughs> Stand on the the other opposite street corner and say, like, I listen to this guy and I don't regret it. Also, AT and T and Directv are racist. <laughs> what uh? What if the sign had said uh, the name of a particular, like maybe the school head or some you know high uh, positioned f- person at the school? If it had said their name is mm-hmm. racist that wouldn't to me that would suggest that they uh probably had a personal experience or 
Maybe not. Maybe not. Actually, maybe not. But it would suggest a little more knowledge than sort of a blanket. This institution, right? Is yeah, it would also sense. possibly be, <clears throat> you know, slander. Like, I mean, the school might. Oh have, yeah, yeah. The school. I mean, the school probably already has legal grounds to say, don't, don't do this. You know, if they, if they pursued it. Um, they, I mean, yeah, Mike. What would you do as a leader? You're a leader of the school. A few parents have written you emails saying, "Hey, I'm we're driving past this in the morning. It's kind of." annoying uh please take care of this do you just i mean this um, might be it. i think it's an ignore it situation yeah i, I think yeah I, I think it's an ignore situation because honestly this guy's a nobody anyone like this is this doesn't just apply to this situation but anyone who puts much stock in protest signs or people who write their you know their opinions on cardboard and hold it up like if you take that super seriously then you know, maybe maybe you need to reassess your priorities in life. Like for for a successful school who you know has you know ex- excellent credentials and excellent like you know yeah. the, the yeah. numbers are good. Like your students are succeeding, and you know they're going on to to do good things. So you know I don't think there's any reason to give this a second thought. Just ignore. Just ignore. Yeah, I don't I don't see how it goes well to like go after this guy and like shut him down or anything. Like he'll probably hold the sign up for a couple months and then like honestly stop, what right? I would expect what I would expect from education today would be for the school to offer him a job and let him teach a class in, you know, how <laughs> how how culpable the school is in czar you know, of race relations or yeah, something something like, like that just a, norm, that a title like a very normal <laughs> you know race czar title uh that would be what i would expect to happen um but but i think kind of the the middle ground the comfortable middle ground is yeah just ignore it i could see the local news wanting to uh do a thing on him and uh, elevate yeah. it elevate yeah. the importance of of the message and and then then the school would kind of need to get involved because we have yes. a pr issue right, uh, right. but that's uncom- like so what do you think legally you could just say this is slander wait what's it it's slander and uh libel one spoken and libel and <clears throat> yeah. libel is spoken slander is written no is that, libel is, is writ- libel is written slander is spoken but i think I'm not a lawyer, but I think in this case it would be slander because it's not in a newspaper or. or okay, so it's basically going out to a public space and speaking yes. is what the sign constitutes a, a speech issue. Right. Um, yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, I, I actually this is just a little factoid that I learned recently in Japan. Slander, you is more um, that slander accusations are more common, and it doesn't. In order to be charged with slander, what you say doesn't have to be false. You can say something true, and as long as it's dishonorable, then you can be, you can be taken to court for slander. Isn't that interesting? What? So yeah. basically, this this. Yeah, like if you Wait, say, well, if you I can say, try to even um, comprehend something that's true, but you also add some hateful words like this. No, it doesn't. It doesn't did, have to be hateful. Like if you say, um, you know, uh, Director Stanley of the uh you know of this college is having an affair with uh this other woman and it's true he really is having an affair with her yeah. then yeah. he could sue you for slander and win and you could have to pay a what does slander them. mean to them that's a different definition fundamentally like like just I mean, being uh just disrupting one's life yeah i mean it's essentially dishonoring someone but dishonoring I, I, someone. I found it bizarre because well 
sometimes people are dishonorable, you know, and like saying and, and saying that. saying it is uh, okay to do. Right. I mean, yeah, so oh, yeah. I mean, what about your personal philosophy then? I mean, you're very justice oriented and like harmony and all of this. So like, there's also the question of is it, is it your role? So yeah, you learn something maybe like that the public should know about a, a, a politician, for instance, and you know it, and you're one, you're the only one privy to this. Is it like? Do you need to make that your, is it your moral obligation? Well, th- I mean, that's the question. And in Japan, you could get sued. Right, yes. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah. what? <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm seriously confused. Like, that sounds like political corruption for that to end up being a law. Yes, uh, yeah, but, I, I could see that. Now, also, you know, like like I said, I'm not a lawyer. I'm also not Japanese. I'm also not a Japanese lawyer. So maybe, you know, maybe this is just some uh, extraordinary thing that I heard you know, with the intent to get attention, but it sounded legit. Like it sounded like the real deal. So, so. You, you just made me think, and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but, but I don't, first of all, I don't know what American lawyers really do and it's complicated. And that's part of the problem is that we have a justice system so complicated that you have to hire someone just to mm-hmm. kind of state your case when you should be able, if you're, you know, reasonably intelligent and articulate, be able to state your case. And yeah. so that there's a problem there, but at least conceptually, we have a, uh, I have a feeling that I understand our justice systems, uh, the spirit of justice. Yeah. And now when you throw something like that into the mix about in Japan, they, you know, libel or slander can occur when it's the truth. Like that's fundamentally a different conceptualization of justice. And then now you, when you said a, a Japanese lawyer, it made me go, holy moly, with all the different laws and different precedents <laughs> and like. I might have no idea what it's like. Not that I have any in America, really, but I have even less in other countries with the different, uh, almost like a moral uh, code that is, you know, baked into the systems. Wow, it can be very complicated. I mean, think about countries that are culturally very different from the United States as well. Like, I mean, Japan is culturally very different, but they got westernized a lot after World World War II, and their government ended up taking on a lot of United States principles, essentially. But think about countries like China or, um, you know, countries that aren't Western, Russia, you know, countries that are very different from us in terms of government structure. Like, their their court systems might be wildly different. Like, do do they have juries? You know, like or yeah, I have no idea. This is a big. I'm very ignorant in, on this. Yeah, yeah me too. Like, me too. Well, or like, or like, would they just be like, "Yep, you're convicted of rape, and and it was this awful, brutal thing, so you're getting six months or something yeah. like that." Do you right. know what I mean? Like, whoa, whoa, like, ugh. So, or, I mean, I, th- I would assume every country would would align that it is wrong, but like, you could see. I would like to see some discrepancies in the beliefs or, or the punishment carried out because right. ours might have 20 years to life and theirs might be a, a, a year or something. Like I'd like to see, because you would think murder across the board and attempted murder and things like that would be mm-hmm. at the highest end. But what if we're just not right? Like I don't know. We, yeah, or what if it was be. like, hey, hierarchy of life. It was a homeless person, so you get, you know, three years. Like, come on. Oh, yeah, right. Something really horrible like that. Like, I don't know. So, yeah, that could definitely be. I mean, there could be, you know, in the courtroom, the judge, uh, the, the, the lawyers and the jury and then the machete man who, you know, just whenever they finally <laughs> pass your sentence, you know, for robbery, he just comes and chops yeah. your hand off right on the spot right there. In England and a lot of Europe, don't they actually still wear those white wigs? I mean, have you seen this? Yeah, they actually yeah. do that. And it's yeah. and it looks I mean, 
cartoonish to be honest, from my perspective. Uh, but it would be very normal, I guess, to see there. Like what? Yeah. Like you belong in an oil painting or a, right? You know, right. Like... I like it. I like it. That's... I like that too because that's what it should be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when when you run for president, you should. Uh, that should be. One I should re- we're, re- going, we're going back to the wigs. I'll be. Right I'll run. I won't be a Republican or a Democrat. I'll run for the. I'll re uh, revive the Whig Party. <laughs> But it, instead of being W H I G, it'll be W I G N. Yeah, bring the wigs. Bring back. the wigs like, back. You could just—I mean—it's all about psychology of uh, of the uniform and how we respect the uniform and the different roles we play. So uh-huh. we gotta we gotta fake it till you make it. And, That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I like oh, very it. Very funny. So, um, I think you haven't fixed a sport in a while. That's true, and they've been going on unchanged all this time. I want to. I kind of want to do a. a, a, I want you to choose the sport, and I want you to fix something. Can I just put you on the on the spot? Do it. Yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Um, I've thought. I have one ready that I've thought about. Oh, good, Um, good. And actually, it's the worst sport. So I'm gonna finally. Finally, the worst sport. Okay, let me think. I'm gonna conceptualize. We'll say it on three. What the worst sport is. Okay. Uh, give me a second. Well, okay, one, two, three. Soccer. Soccer. (laughs) Okay. Soccer is worse than than golf. To to watch, even? I haven't haven't fixed golf yet, but it's on my list. Uh, It's on my list to fix. Golf? golf? I can understand. You just insulted most of the world. That's right. I know. I realize that. I realize that. But let me tell you. So, soccer is the worst, and it's hands down the worst sport because... Like, it's it's just it's a less interesting version than sports that I have already fixed or will fix in the future. Like, uh, like hockey, you know, which was the first one we did. Lacrosse yeah, is an improvement on soccer, basically. Yeah. Lacrosse, Lacrosse is an improvement, is an improvement on improvement soccer. On, yeah, basketball <laughs> is an improvement on soccer. Even was you know? soccer like the original sport? In it some seems ways? Pos- It seems like the kind of like the primordial sport. Like when the Neanderthals rolled out of their cave and there was a particularly round rock or tumbleweed or something, and they were like, oh, I kick. And that became soccer. Uh, <laughs> because, like, there's nothing else to it. Like, it's just people running, and people running is boring. Now, I will say, I will say, because I'm trying to be totally fair here to soccer, um, obviously, but the one thing that soccer does that's okay is the dribbling, right? So the kicking, um, and and the no yeah. hand the no hands rule that makes traversal marginally more interesting than yeah no hands is like it's one of the few sports that just doesn't use your hands right. at all so so it makes the athletes develop a skill an unusual skill um, you know manipulating the ball with their feet or with their body or head or whatever just not using their hands so that I will give soccer that it's the most interesting thing that the sport contains but everything else is abysmal um, and so like. I, uh, I, I've never played soccer other than just you know, like the basics, like at recess and stuff in school, but my sister played soccer, um, uh, to a relatively high level. I've had cousins who played soccer. I have a cousin who's getting a soccer scholarship. Um, 
all my friends in high school played soccer, so I had to go to soccer games and stuff. So I've had to endure my fair share of soccer torture You're in my a life. Pro I'm a, what, yeah. basically I am the peak expert level. Like the players of soccer, they're too biased to have an opinion on soccer. Right, and they have to be in one position and kind of know the position. You you get the global perspective. Yeah, I get the and, and people who are legitimate soccer fans, they're too biased, right? Because they they they're too attached to soccer. I yeah. am I I have seen soccer but not become a fan. So. You know, I, I have essentially the most authority in the world to talk about soccer. So I feel like I'm not I'm not really stepping outside of my lane here um, by fixing the sport and making it something that everyone can enjoy. All right, let's improve it. All right, so um, one of the main problems with soccer is uh, the, the, the field and the point scoring system. So the field is too big uh, for you know for what the game is. And it results in essentially, I mean, sometimes the teams don't even bother to score. You know, sometimes the game ends and it's zero to zero, which is just unforgivable. Like whoever, Mr. Soccer or whatever the yeah. inventor of soccer was, like he made a huge mistake. Um, that Yeah, you're that. right. If, 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 it's, if you have games that are regularly or even occasionally being zero, zero, re- do something. Seriously. Yes. That's not a sport that, that, that you want to like leave as the status quo or whatever. Yeah, it's I can't, on. I can't, it's, I can't uh, conceptualize that honestly. Yeah, it's it's unacceptable, and it's on the opposite end of the spectrum from from its cousin from soccer's cousin basketball, which you know the points can sometimes get above a hundred. Yeah, even um, if you play a bad team, there's never a shutout. Like it just isn't that kind of game. Right. Yeah. So so there's got to you know you should tune your rules so that you know the final scores end up being you know, in the teens or maybe the twenties, depending on how fast paced the game is, you know, like in terms of points scored, like you should, you should, you should tune it so that that happens. Um, quick, quick question. Is mm-hmm. it, is a sports, uh, uh, are you kind of operating under a principle that it's the sports duty to be somewhat entertaining to yes, watch? Absolutely. Okay. Just want to make, that's one of the axioms or what mm-hmm. core beliefs that like, you have. About the way, sports. the way, yeah. the way I see it is that it's like, you know, athletic ability is important, and and the sport should push its athletes to be exceptional, so that not just every unless we're playing fair ball, you know, when I fix basketball, then it should be a relatively exclusive. It should be a relatively exclusive group of people who are who are able to excel at, at the game. So I understand the value of athleticism, but the way I see it, almost anything can be subject to athleticism you know you could have athletic dishwashing and some people would excel to the top tier of dishwashing and be able to just go and just wash the dishes super fast exceptionally fast so i I watch a 30 second video on youtube of that one time yeah (laughs) yeah so but what my point is that like in order to build the sport around the athlete and the actions they're taking i think that's wrong because um sports whether we like it or not, end up succeeding or failing based on their audience and how many people are interested in the sport and therefore end up participating and how much money, you know, the entertainment industry can, can bring in. And so like if any action can be a sport, why not choose actions that are entertaining that can gain a, a big audience? You see what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And so it's kind of the, yeah. yeah. And, and, Sports and so, have fans at the professional level a lot, hopefully. Yeah, many fans. And soccer, you know, soccer just got lucky because, you know, it was the Neanderthals, like I say, and they started it and they didn't have the benefit of all the really interesting 
things um, that, that I would add. And so it gained fans throughout. I mean, they had the benefit of centuries here. And one of the fans. benefits is honestly access. I know this is a side point, but That's like true. Yeah, yeah. you kick around something and you're pouring in the dirt and you just like, you know, mm-hmm. your friend dies and you cut off their head and you just right. play and with you can the kick head it, or whatever. Kick it around. Very convenient yeah. to do that. Yeah. And yeah, right. I don't, I don't think we have to expand on that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> enough said. Right? Enough, enough said about that. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess soccer was ahead in that way. Um, <laughs> oh, Anyway, uh, all right. So back to fixing it. Another another thing, um, another thing that I have a major gripe with about soccer and also you know, football and basketball and similar sports is the out of bounds rules. Like when you go out of bounds, it's lame. It's super lame. You know, athletes can just you know to get out of a tricky situation, they can just go out of bounds. Or and then it breaks the flow of the game. You have to stop, and there's always some rule about how to go. Or like an amazing catch in football will will be uh, uh, wiped clean simply because of an inch of uh, even though they bested mm-hmm. the other athlete and it was yeah. amazing. They're just not going to count it because there was an inch. Like there's something about that that's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. It breaks the flow of the game. It you know I mean maybe some soccer players would probably argue that it's important because it gives people a moment to rest and they can't just be running the whole time. But that's not my problem, you know, as <laughs> a spectator, like you're the athlete, you should be, you should be entertaining and, you know, pushing the bounds of athleticism the whole time. And, and they're not. So I don't like out of bounds rules. So that's another thing I'll try to fix. So, so the first thing I would do to try to address these problems is I would change the, the field. Um, so rather than having a flat, rectangular field i would change the uh i would change the hilliness of the of the field a little bit so if you if you can picture in your mind's eye um the a die and picture the five side of the die you know with its five circles on it yeah yeah then i would have the field uh have some hills that resemble that that layout of those circles on the die so the they the, would dip they would dip or go up the the okay. middle the middle circle would be a hill that goes up and the four in the corners would be dips there would be indentions that are pressed down into the field visually uh pretty it could look cool too yes yeah it would be distinctive it would stand out you know like golf courses when you look at them from above they stand out you go oh that's a golf course you know what it is and this would yeah. make soccer fields stand out as well. You go, oh, there's the soccer field. And they might even come up with a name for it, like the, the, the die. Oh, go out on, you know, like uh, for football, it's go out on the grill iron. Um, <laughs> then yeah, yeah, for, the grill iron, yeah. for soccer, you know, maybe we go, it's time to meet on the die. Um, you know, people would say that. <laughs> And it would be it's a small improvement. <laughs> it would be popular, um, and so uh, and I imagine these hills. You know, they're not they're not extreme in elevation or 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 in their dip. Maybe ten or fifteen feet elevation. Of, you know, and they're gently sloped. The idea is that you know when you kick kick the ball, um, you know it curves, and so it's just not it's just not boring. Uh, you have to calculate you know how the ball will curve in order to get it where you want it to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then also, instead of being a rectangular field, uh, it's going to be a circular field. Um, and uh, the bounds, the, the, you can't go out of bounds. They're going to be high walls. It's going to be kind of Coliseum-like. Um, so oh, so you can kick the ball off the wall? Off the wall, exactly. Like maybe you remember back in the, maybe it was the early 2000s when there was like, I think like the XFL, the Extreme Football League. Do you remember that? Yeah, and yeah. I think, dude. didn't they have walls? There's like arena football and they had walls in there. Um, I, 
I know there was indoor soccer too. Do you remember that yeah. place? In 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 it like right maybe know, yeah. kick it maybe that's like maybe that's like a I'm... hockey type mm. plant. I don't know tall plastic plastic glass type things. Yes, that's yeah. that's what I'm envisioning. Except maybe maybe taller because you can kick uh you can kick a soccer ball pretty high. Quite um, a bit, yeah. So, but but some method of making it so that you know there's essentially no out of bounds. It's just a problem that doesn't happen very often. Um, and, and yeah, bouncing off the walls makes the, uh, makes the passing more, more interesting. All right. So dynamic. So those are pretty simple. Um, those are pretty simple improvements, but now, now I'm going to make it a little bit more complicated, um, as you probably expected. So, um, in soccer, you know, you have two goals at the ends of the rectangular field, but now that we're making it a circle, you know, that becomes a, a little bit trickier. So what I envision now is um, <clears throat> there are still two goals, but uh, they are positioned on tracks uh, around the circumference of the field. And uh, throughout the course of the game, they are continually, you know, rotating on this on the tracks around the edge of the field. So they're moving. Are they color-coded according to the team so you yeah, can keep track? Yeah, they'll be color-coded so it's obvious whose who's goal is which and... Um, you know, they don't have the they won't have the nets on the back of them anymore because you know at some point they may cross each other uh, and the goals may be totally totally overlapped. Uh, okay. <laughs> so so actually one strategy is I'll, I'll I'll mention in a minute the the methods by which the goals can be manipulated. But one strategy might be to keep your goal in front of the opponent's goal all the time so that if anyone kicks the ball in there, it scores for both teams and you know, they don't Oh wait, so they're on a track that you can move or they I thought they were automated. <clears throat> they they are they're they are automated, but I'm gonna I'm gonna mention some things that the players can influence how they move. Um, so they're not it's not like there's a person holding on to the bar and you know, manually moving it, but there are some rules that govern. And they're not going clockwise or all the time. They can they can reverse direction. Yes, they can like reverse that. direction. They start off going moderate, you know, just a moderate speed, consistent speed, clockwise, op- totally yeah. opposite each other, moderate speed, clockwise. But then as the as the game progresses, um, you know, things things, things kind of change. So so for example, um, the with respect to the speed of the goals, I imagine there's some kind of sensor. Or, or maybe there's like a ring um, on top of the central hill, and if the ball passes into that ring, whoever's in possession of the ball, their goal uh, speeds up, so it becomes harder to score a goal. You know, if they essentially if they capture the hill in the middle temporarily, then their goal speeds up and becomes more difficult to score on. Maybe yeah. first, maybe for, for some short period of time, like. They're ten seconds or fifteen seconds or thirty seconds or something. What if, like that. What if each goal scored the the goal the, the goal, moving goal got more difficult to do that way? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just could be interesting. Could could be yeah. It could be, but it could also result in games being interest you know interesting at the beginning and more lots of points scored and then it dips off and no one scores at the end. I'm just just thinking it would keep it closer in some ways. It would be less runaway games. Maybe that's I don't true. Know. That's a good point. I'm certainly open to you know. I'm sure after decades of uh, of my improved <laughs> soccer being in practice that they'll you know they'll optimize some of these is things. that the thing about the, all these sports you're improving you're also willing to change them as you're seeing the games unfold right absolutely and how the gameplay is and you should yes you know? yeah because it's all about making the sport better um, instead of just sticking to ball ball net games um, <laughs> ball net games. like we just got to make them better so um so, so that's what governs the speed of the goals. So you can imagine now that you know players might try to capture the central hill 
as a defensive technique, and also the central hill gives a vantage point where you know maybe you can make a long a long kick to score on your on your opponent's goal um, as well since you have elevation. Um, all right, so also another rule that really this really changes things is at random intervals uh, at of a length between thirty seconds and five minutes, a really loud buzzer sounds and the rules invert. So instead of now not being able to use your hands, now you can't touch the ball uh, with your feet. You can only touch okay. the ball with your hands. <laughs> and and like so, I thought about this. Like I thought that sounded really interesting at first, but then I imagined only being able to touch the ball with your hands is boring because it essentially turns into football. You know, American football, where you're holding the ball. It's so holding and running. Yeah. So I think I think I'm gonna try to take kind of a page out of basketball's book. This is one of the things that I think basketball does right with dribbling. Um, so in soccer now, when the rules flip and you can only use your hands, you can only use one hand. You can't ever hold it in both hands at the same time. So okay. I think you know you could still do the football kind of tuck under your arm, and that might be kind of lame. But I'm hoping that the way it would work is people would kind of be passing the ball a lot between their hands and and you know that kind of thing. So I, I'm open to. Uh, I'm open to modifications on that on that rule. Like maybe if they're not moving, they can use two hands to sort of grip the ball and throw it yeah. into a throwing position, stuff like that. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's okay. So so I'm I'm gonna t- take a lot from basketball in that respect because I actually think that the um, the ball handling rules in basketball keep things dynamic. Um, Is the ball the same uh, as a soccer ball? Reasonably, I mean, it bounces. It's it's mm-hmm. you know it can be. Have you changed the ball in any way? Or are you kind of honoring the the legacy of soccer and keeping the, the soccer ball? I thought about that. Uh, I in in this version, I have opted to keep the soccer ball mostly unchanged. Um, it's recognizable, and uh, you could you could change things up to make a big floaty ball or you know a little dense ball. But I think that I think consistency is going to be important. So we're we're going to keep it most mostly the same. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could m- maybe we could explore making it a little bit bigger so that it's difficult to tuck under the arm like a football is, you know, and so that would make it more the, the carrying more dynamic. But it would also I make think it, it's going to be hard to carry anyway. Like footballs are meant to be tucked the way they are, you know, in the yeah. arm, one arm. But like when you have just a soccer ball, you can pop that thing out. That's big, true. Big round ball. So I think that's a fine. I think it's fine to keep it the way it is. Good. Yeah. Then we will. We'll keep it that way. Uh-huh. Um so this is uh, and, all right. So uh, back to the goals and controlling the goals. This may be it may be uh, a little complicated to understand verbally, but the way I imagine it is the direction of the goals, whether they're moving clockwise or counterclockwise, is up to how many members of your team are on a particular half of the field. So if you imagine, <laughs> so if you imagine that you have the majority of your team. So if there are eleven team members on the field and you have six of your team members and they are close to their own goal, then the goal will be moving, for example, uh, clockwise. But if one of their team members crosses over the central line of the field, which is always changing, right? Because I was about to say, in in proximity to the goal, right? Yeah, in in proximity to the goal. So it's essentially distance from their own goal. If if the majority of players are far from the goal, maybe it'll move counterclockwise. And if they're close to the goal, it'll move clockwise. So, So that sounds really complicated, and it kind of is, but it means that you know, you could you could keep a player near that boundary line, 
and he depending on where he moves, you know, you could quickly change the direction of the goal to maybe avoid your opponent scoring. And he would need goal. to be near the center of the field to yes. be able to bounce back and forth. I mean, because right. at the edges, it's going to change fast. It's hard to <laughs> like move. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. You might not be able to keep up with the center line of the field if you're on the edge of the field. So I think it, that makes it it makes it int- it makes it interesting because it's not like baseball where the field has particular positions that are always active or soccer is the same way now the positions are changing dynamically and they behave differently based on where you're where you are on the field so i think it could be really really cool uh-huh, to do that way so all right it's going to get crazier are you are you ready i i'm with you so far yeah i mean i think it could actually function so far um yeah yeah. So so now uh, so I imagine I imagine it starting with eleven players on each team, just like soccer, but two of the players on each team are on horseback and they have a large mallet, <laughs> like um, like in polo. Um, uh, they have a large mallet. Okay. Yeah, like in polo, just like in polo, and so they maybe it's you know altered a little bit to hit a soccer ball better, but they are kind of like the. Um, you know they're kind of like the captains of their team, uh, or knights knights of their team. Maybe that's a better way to put it. And so they, you know, they have a you know higher speed, and uh, they can really whack the ball with the with the mallet. And um, they're exempt from the hands and feet rules. Like they can hit the ball at any time with the mallet, but they can't hold okay. it. They can't carry the ball because it would be difficult to steal the ball Get from a person on yeah. horseback. So they're they're kind of like the berserkers of the of the field. They can charge in there and just really really. And they're on the on the field at the, all the time, the whole time. Yeah, I think the horse players are on the field um, on the field the whole time. Uh, okay. But but I do have a rule um, regarding players on the field. So see see what you think about this. So in in this version of soccer, when you score a goal, you have a choice. You don't you don't have to take a point. You can choose to either get a point, introduce another player from your team onto the field. Or introduce a new ball into play on the field um, within some limits. So with a maximum of 15 team members uh, on, allowed on your team on the field, and a maximum. Or else it would be wacky. It'd just be yeah, too crazy. It would, it would be too crazy, and a maximum of uh, three balls allowed on the field at, at the time to you know to keep. Why it would for, the introduction of a ball be an advantage to you necessarily? If like, you have a, I think if you have a lot of players on your team. Um, and you introduce okay. a new ball, then you could overwhelm the other team. So the strategy would be to introduce more players and then then and, balls and then more like, balls. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, and so also because that could get wild, right? Like horses and fifteen players and moving goals. So if you're confident in this strategy, it's weird how you've scored and it's zero zero, and you introduce a player, scored again, another player, yes. scored again, perhaps a third player, score scored again another ball and then you just run yeah, blitz, run just it yeah blitz on. and so the strategies could be differential like you could also have a team that they try that strategy and maybe they've introduced more players but then the other team like maybe they really like pull out the stops and they score a goal and they decide to take points and not players and then you know the game ends and they manage to win despite the other yeah. team having scored some goals um also, just as a somewhat limiting factor on all the wildness, if there are any fouls or any rule breaking, um, then you you lose a team member. You get a team member. You know, kind of like in hockey, you go to the penalty box, and this you just get pulled off the field. 
Down. Yeah, red card means you're off the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're red, down a player. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly the same way. Um, down to a minimum of seven team members. Um, and if okay. you if you break a rule after you're already at your minimum, then then you lose you award a point to the other team. Um, okay. So that's it. That's all. That's all the rules. I think. <laughs> I think to add to add more to add more rules would, would just be silly. <laughs> it would. It would kind of make it a joke. You know, it would kind of make it a joke. It would stop being serious like it is right now. Um, so the the only thing left is to give it a name, uh, and I'm I'm extremely uh, disappointed and apologetic to share that I I just could not come up with an excellent name for this sport. The best I can't can come up with was uh, bonanza because it's a cool sounding word. It's a phonesthetic word, and I think the sport would be kind of wild. So bonanza is good, but I'm not. I'm not extremely pleased with that name. I feel like there's a better name lurking out there somewhere. Yeah, like Knights of the Round Soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Knights of of the Die. (laughs) Knights of the Die. Yeah. Something like there's a there's a better name out there somewhere um, than than Bonanza, but I I went with Bonanza just uh, you know just just for now. Over the course of um, the sports uh, development, I'm sure that there, there will be a league that comes up that. People. The stadiums would look more like coliseums with yeah. the roundness. Yeah, would be it would cool. be cool. It'd be really cool. They could be pretty tall. I feel like too. Mm-hmm. Do you picture the circle like if you were to take a soccer field right now and draw a circle that fits within its parameters, and then that'd be the size of the field? Or um, like, I think I'm just trying to picture how yeah. big. Because if you get in trouble of making it bigger, you were saying it's too big as it is. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think it might. There's probably a balance. So. I think you should be able to, at the extreme end, kick uh, from the top of the central hill and score a goal if you're exceptional. You know, if you're an exceptional athlete, you should potentially be able to make what would be called, you know, like a full field kick from the central hill all the way to the goal. So that distance, whatever that is. And also you have to think too, when you have the horses on the field, you know, you're going to need a, you're gonna need a little bit of a bigger field to, um, to, to accommodate them. Um, what? Yeah, what does kickoff look like to you? Oh yeah, uh, same as like at the top of the field and like yeah. Yeah, I think maybe um, maybe the team members are spread equidistant from each other on the circumference of the field, you know, on on their side of the goal, and the ball is on a little stand or something at the top of the central hill, and the buzzer rings and they run for it. Run up it, yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, In the event of a tie, what happens? Um. Hmm. Maybe like a shootout's a pretty exciting a shootout, thing. Yeah, a shootout so. is pretty exciting. I'm thinking maybe the ball is on top of the central hill and the horse players are allowed to, you know, kind of joust it in a jousting sort of manner, <laughs> like charge at it and whoever, you know, maybe maybe they have maybe the goals are stationary at that yeah, point. It's the goals just are stationary the and they can charge it and try to, you know, mallet it in from the top of the central <laughs> hill or something. That sounds pretty cool. So that that's definitely a working a working idea for for that for the tiebreaker. Well, you solved it for me. Soccer would be more interesting then. Bonanza? Are and you a fan? Bana- I'm, a f- I'm a fan of Bonanza. It really and it still just honors, you know, soccer. Yeah, it honors the roots of the sport. There are, are still goals and balls, so, you know. Yeah. Essentially, it's, it's outdoors true, and, true to its roots. You know. I think that all of the countries that love soccer would really love Bonanza. Embrace this easily. And yeah. yeah, they should embrace it. 
you know, Brazil, I think they like soccer a lot. You know, the European countries, so. they're into soccer. This would just be better. It would be better for everyone, better for the world. Like, people would get along more. You know, soccer is notoriously, the fans can be very violent. But I yeah, think yeah. this would um, channel their aggression into entertainment more. They would, whether or not they love their team and hate the other team, they would still be impressed by the you know all the amazing rules and how how dynamic the game is. So well, you should just write a rule book up, send it to FIFA, and see where where it goes from there. You yeah, know? yeah. We would have to change FIFA. I guess it would become like BIFA, the um, Bonanza International, whatever. Yeah. I don't know what I don't <laughs> know what, stands I don't know what the acronym stands football for. Football or, or something like FIBA or, or FIFA, FIBA, whatever FIFA. it is. <laughs> one of those is for football, I assume. So, one of them, yeah. Also, this, um, you know, the confusion between American football and you know football, football internationally. This clears that up because you know yeah. now now it's, now it's not football because you don't use your you only use your feet half the time. Uh, more or less. Bonanza, that so name. Bonanza. <laughs> it's so goofy. It is really goofy. Um, a professional Bonanza player. I'm a Bonanza player. What of it? I'm the, I ride the horse. I'm the die knight. Uh-huh. Yeah. Die knight. <clears throat> that's the position. Yeah. So that's uh that's soccer. Soccer fixed. Hope everyone likes it. I expect to see maybe the first uh the first season of Bonanza happen maybe in the next two or three years. Sometimes I feel dumber after hearing you fix a sport. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it doesn't, in, it doesn't, it doesn't titillate my like brain in the way. It just, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's sports for you. Yeah. Well, that's sports for you. That's a succinct uh, way of putting uh, what sports give us. <laughs> we do. We turn the brain off, and we just. Artitilated. Artitilated. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do have another uh, another topic that may be a little a little bit more titillating. I mean, it's yeah. it's vaguely more titillate away. So, um, so I was watching a Jordan Peterson interview recently, and I don't remember who he, who he was talking to, <clears throat> or or even much about the context, but he was talking about how people who who come to his lectures young people, they often dress up really nice. And, you know, he usually dresses up really nice too. Like he wears the fancy suits and everything. And he was talking about how impressed he was that all of these young people dress up when they come to attend his lectures. And he also expressed disappointment at how in general, young people seem to just not be dressing up anymore. He, he expressed kind of some frustration at the emphasis on casual attire that we seem to have in our society. And so he obviously has a you know a particular viewpoint here that people should dress up more. So there's some uh there's some moral tie uh here to to dressing up. And I'm not sure I'm on board with this totally. I was thinking like in contrast, you know, there are people like uh Mark Zuckerberg, the uh the CEO of Facebook, and you know, he notoriously Looks like he just walks walked out of a Walmart, you know, like he's a Walmart mannequin or something. Like right. He just wears t-shirts and jeans, and yet he's you know one of the richest men in the world, extremely influential and and successful. And so, I'm wondering, <clears throat> like, is there truly is there some moral component to dressing up, and why do people 
dress up is it important to to dress up or not like is it is it is it something that we can should we focus more on the actions that people take or the clothes they wear or is there some nuance here what are, what are your thoughts? i would think yeah i would think it's not an either or i'd say that he the reason he's taking this position is the belief that there's a tie between the actions and the clothes we wear, like however small. And that's, I guess, within that is the debate. If you just say, oh, that's nonsense, then his argument's not going to make much sense at all. It's just going to be like like pageantry for pageantry's sake. And so, I mean, when you talk about Mark Zuckerberg and like I think Google, like all this stuff about like forever it's been you wear a tie to work you wear your suit to work unless you uh have a blue collar job any white collar job is pretty much just you wear your tie i mean is that trend. even the uh the origin of blue collar and white collar is about dressing up you know it, it might be i don't understand blue but white i always assumed it was like a white shirt like a button down yeah, white shirt i, I, I picture blue collar being like a denim like a denim shirt, you know? Like yeah, or shirt. like a... I actually, when I picture... Uh, I've heard the term, and I don't even know if this is offensive, but like a monkey suit for like uh, someone working on a oh, car. Oh, like a mechanic. Like, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. I and I it's a blue... And it's put blue with like a name tag yeah, on it. Yeah, I don't you know? think that's offensive. So, I don't think that's yeah. offensive. I hope yeah, not. so... Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really think so. I would hate to um, yeah, offend the monkeys. They're really nice, <laughs> cute, cute animals. All their suits they're wearing. Um, yeah. But... Um, and so clearly our culture has gotten casual and like for us even growing up it was becoming this oh did you hear it google you can wear like flip-flops to work mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. or these tech companies and and then people started to uh, i guess as millennials and maybe even gen x uh, you know i'm not i don't know the i find it unusual to say here's a generation and here are their habits but clearly Mm-hmm. The values are, are different than, say, boomers. And boomers were like, just wear your tie to work. Right. Uh, but the casualization of that, uh, of work culture and saying, you know, what we care about, honestly, let's reevaluate. We want to get our, your work, our work done. So we mm-hmm. don't care about the hours you're logging we don't, as much. This is just general trends, right? We don't yeah. care about the logging of the hours and the, how nice you look as long as you're getting the work done uh, within these parameters. And then... You know, it, it feels like perks went from 401ks and, and like like retirement stuff to like doing edgy or like bringing in a masseuse on Fridays <laughs> and like, you know, having having a, a bunch of random cereals available. I mean, I'm kind of making up an example of like the perks being flashy mm-hmm. and fun, kind of like something... This is this is the whole Instagram life, right? Like, can you take a picture of it and share and go? My workplace is cool. As you sh- show a picture of you in flip flops, getting a massage, eating some cinnamon toast crunch at your cereal bar at work, mm-hmm. versus the traditional person who's getting like legit money in their four hundred one k and they like have a suit on, you know, and a briefcase. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I I've personally experienced this trend. Like, if if you remember, my first job out of college was for a it was for like a healthcare, a big healthware software company. Um, and when I interviewed for that job, they explicitly told me, don't dress up. Uh, don't don't wear a suit because we don't care about your appearance. We want to. Did they say you don't have to or were they saying like don't? don't they told me don't wear a suit. They told me don't yeah. wear a suit um, because we don't care. And we just we're going to. You know, they gave me a bunch of tests and stuff so that they, they wanted to know that I had the ability they didn't care about my appearance, which, 
you know, at the time I loved, I was like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. And I still think that like it rings just kind of on the surface, very true. Like, oh, how dumb is it that we wear this tight, pe- like a tie, for instance, this upside down noose, this thing that yeah, chokes yeah. you and is uncomfortable. And right. it's almost like it's intentionally uncomfortable piece of clothing versus a, when compared to a t-shirt or something. So mm-hmm. on its surface, like, there's not a debate about what's more comfortable. And then if you just take that to the next step, well, we want our workers to be comfortable so they're the most productive. Mm-hmm. Boom, there you go. Um, but I think the psychology of this is, uh, is, I mean, when a superhero puts on their cape, like, it isn't really about the flappy cape that's enhancing their powers as much as it's now they're in superhero mode. Is that right? is that how you think of it when you put your tie on in the morning before work? You oh, think, oh, I actually, I, I, jo- I make this joke. Mode. Yeah, I say I'm in my super teacher mode and I'm ready to teach. <laughs> and I, 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 I do this like montage where it zooms into my yeah, forearms right. as I rolled <laughs> sleeves, you know, <laughs> yeah, and right. ties. Zing, and, uh, uh, but, but no joke, I, I think that that it's my it's my teacher outfit so to speak Mm -hmm. and i and i feel uh just as we dress up our language in an interview you know i'm less likely to curse uh there are probably subjects that you're not going to bring up uh like politics whatnot and whatnot so you are dressing up your language and dressing up the subject or you know you're, you're steering more carefully i think it makes sense uh to to dress up for an interview so or dress up for something that is of import right like the, right, right. It, it it's a sim it's a sign a very explicit sign of this, this is special means something to me it's a little bit of a sacrifice too uh mm-hmm. to do that so and it takes time it also shows i understand the cultural fabric so if the norm is to dress up for an interview and someone comes in wearing flip-flops there's a sign that they don't quite read the social fabric well, and that could mean something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a value statement in that regard as well. And so, yeah, I'm ultimately, and I can't ignore that the casualization in our dress and the casualization of our moral code, I'm talking big picture here, mm-hmm. uh, the that's all like gone hand in hand. I mean, I don't think it's causation, but I think it's coming from the same place of, and eh, do what you want, uh, laissez-faire attitude toward morals. And so I think uh, I, I, I am on Jordan Peterson's side big time. Also, there's the benefit of you get home and you take the tie off. Man, that's neat. That's a neat feeling, the distinguishing, like a hard week of work. I come, I go out for drinks with some colleagues or something and take the tie off and curse more. Like it's the same thing, right? Like linguistically I'm shifting from a, like teachers curse more than uh, most people, I think. And that's because you're around the kids, you, you don't curse. Well, that's even a, around... a saying, right? Oh, I curse like a teacher. Curse like a teacher. <laughs> but my, my, but it's, it's a code switching like tactic to say, oh, we're with each other and I trust you. And so there's something uh, endearing or uh, intimate or, or like you're in the inner circle now. So now that the kids are away and you're in the lounge and it's just y'all and I trust you. So I'm going to curse. And mm-hmm. uh, so I think uh, the downside to uh, the whole clothing thing is obviously inefficiency. Like you're now you have like two different, you have different kinds of clothes you now need to own for the different occasions and the comfort level of those clothes. Although, and I'm really big into techie clothes now. (laughs) What I mean by that is like they stretch or they repel 
waters and water and stains and things like that. Um, and so with that, there's there's a whole industry out there to make uh, dress clothes as comfortable as say your workout shirts, you know, with uh, the the athletic fabrics and things like that. So um, so I'm really big on I like like some of my dress shirts are legitimately more comfortable than a t-shirt you'd buy at Target or something. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but they're also a hefty, hefty price tag right. So for the higher end ones. So anyway, my, yeah, I think that, uh, this, this is something I've believed in for a while. I, my, my school is also old school that I'm having to wear a tie. It's weird that I'm, I'm may, I am on the hierarchy of like, uh, earning power, pretty, pretty low, middle, low, at least compared to my friends who are wearing like, you know, flip flop. So it's just odd uh, culturally. If you were to say thirty years ago, say like, like, dr- like put people in a line dressed up to go to work, and you'd have mm-hmm. put me on there. The average person would look. He probably has the most earning power. And nope, it's the flip flop guy. You know, or yeah. it's the so just interesting. Yeah, I uh, you know I I am not a fan of dressing up. Um, I tend yeah, to you're you're unusually not a fan like like you're hardcore against it if anyone you're the, out of anyone I know like I would think of you like being miserable having to dress up yes yeah so I I'm I'm on the opposite side of Jordan Peterson here but I understand and agree with some of your some of your points like I mean I definitely think that the casualization in terms of fashion in terms of dress, does go hand in hand with a casualization, morally speaking, uh, as well. Like the, I mean, the analogies all are very perfect here because the social fabric, it seems like, is kind of fraying, you know, and it's not holding us together as much. And at the same time, the actual fabric that we're wearing is, you know, not not as fancy either. Like, so I think those things do go hand in hand. However, where I differ is that I don't. I mean, you said it's not causation, and I don't, I don't think it's causation, but I also don't think that that casualization necessarily means that um, that people, you know, lose touch with their moral compass either. Um, our society loses touch with its moral direction either. Like I, I think that it's certainly possible that society, you know, maintains its moral moral guidance and you know is going in a good direction, but also um, we adopt more casual dress. Uh, so, so the way I see it, the ideal situation would be, you know, reverse our moral degradation, but maintain the casualization trend. Because I truly think that the, um, I guess maybe the harmony or the authenticity point is the most important, right? Like, like if you're judging someone based on the clothes they're wearing, that's totally tangential to what you sh- to their merit, you know, to what you should be judging them for. Now, like yeah. you bring up, there may be some correlations, you know, like if a person comes to an interview and they're dressed really sloppily, then maybe you can assume that they're not in touch with, um, yeah, you know, the the way people should behave and interact, or or maybe they don't have good personal grooming habits, and so they're lazy in some fashion. No, those they are... don't have reverence for institutions, you know. Right. Like, uh, screw it. I don't. I know I'm supposed to, but I'm not going to. And that attitude, yeah. So, Great. so you know, maybe there could be some correlation there with things you might want to avoid. So, I understand the utility in some judgment uh, based on appearance. I mean, I mean, things get really tricky, right? Because, I, 
you know, if you're judging based on appearance, who is to say you're you're restricting your judgment to just their clothes and not, you know, extending to, you know, their race, for example, or whether it's a man or a woman. And people could argue about whether making those sorts of judgments is that is that effective or is that discriminatory? You could you could apply some of the same discussions to judging people based on their appearance. With the, no, with you're the right. understandable caveat that appearance is voluntary. You know, you can choose how you dress. You can't choose you know your skin color. So I understand well, those distinctions. I am pleased with in some like some aspects of the casualization of dress and appearance. I mean, it makes room for. Take outside your preference or not, like mm-hmm. piercings, tattoos, wacky hair colors, uh, unorthodox fashion. Uh, it's like it's interesting. That's objective to say. Can I say that that it's more interesting? Yeah, there's uh, certainly more variation in appearance. And so, with more variation and more means for self-expression, in, in you know, that is, and that's more and more accepting, right? Like it's easier to get tattoos in a traditional work environment. Uh, like they're not. You know, my school, as of like six years ago, you had to cover up any visible tattoos and that's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. So um, and that's so that is also a testament to more of a I guess I would call that casualization or at least uh, I, I don't know if you call it progressive. I don't know what you would call that. But um, so in some ways I celebrate like because ultimately piercings, tattoos, like, are these identity components? I don't really think so, even though they are some form of self-expression. So it gets complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but any, I think a communi- uh, 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 culture is built upon signals you can give one another, right? Like, hey, I'm going to shake your hand. I mean, what handshakes originally came from like, hey, I don't have a weapon in my hand. You're a tribe. I don't know you. You don't know me. We, wake, we walk up. We shake hands. It's a mm-hmm. way of saying I have no guns or weapons i'm i mean you no harm so right. handshakes become this tradition of saying i mean you no harm um and so all these cultural signals we can give to one another uh that's that's useful and so uh, i think with dress being i i think that formal dress is a very useful signal of hey i'm engaging in important work uh, because frankly it's not that the fabrics cost more it, well they actually charge more but i'm sure like I've thought about this. Why is it like a button down shirt versus a long sleeve t-shirt? Like it's about the same amount of fabric. I mean the collar, but give me a break, right? It's reasonably the same amount of fabric and yet you'll charge a significant more for the button down because it, it it's, it's uh dress clothing. Uh, yeah. Interesting to me, but that aside, like uh, the access to dress, dress clothes is not uh it's not unattainable for most so like yeah so you're just basically able to signal to people i'm doing work that's important to me uh and that cycle and it's it's also for you as well i think like putting it on that's that's the real question here is will it just putting on that suit change my behavior a little bit and i think the answer is yes more than we are willing to admit so Uh, yeah i you know i'm i'm not totally opposed to this line of thinking either like i do think that you know, it's a, dressing up is a signal that you're sending. My my concern is that the signal may not be true all the time. You know, you can imagine a businessman or a teacher who dresses up, and maybe when they start their career, it feels like they're this putting on their superhero, super teacher tie thing and yeah. all that. But then after ten years, when they become a jaded, you know, they become jaded in their position. 
now dressing up is just rote, right? It's just totally yeah. normal. I mean, it's it diminishing like, returns it, for the individual. Yeah. It doesn't feel like anything special. And in fact, it could they could start to resent the the uniform, you know, the, having to dress up. And now truly dressing up is not a distinguishing factor. You know, it, it gives the facade. It's a facade of professionalism, but it's not it's not genuine. And I, I think, you know, it may sound like I'm taking a rare instance, but I actually think that perhaps this is what started the trend towards casualization because people, you know, in their professional stodgy workplaces forced to dress up, got so sick of it that the younger entrepreneurial people started companies and they said, we're different. We're not stodgy. You don't have to dress up with us. And it gave people, you know, it prolonged people's enthusiasm. It was one less thing for people to feel constrained by in their job that's a that's a good point um it also made me think of like casual fridays and things that were kind of exciting and made fridays unique because you dressed up every other day and now like what do you offer i guess maybe you bring in the masseuse or something on fridays (laughs) i mean um it's just when what one line of reasoning I think you took too far was to say like a ten years in then you start to resent. I don't think you start to resent. I think it be, I think it does lose uh, completely. It's like oh I've got my superhero outfit on. I'm ready to work. It does lose that for the personal. I think it still communicates to others. It it, it just becomes so mundane and and nothing to you. Just start putting on your your go to work outfit. I also think though if I'm at the school here's something I can say. You know I've been in actually for ten years in education and had to wear a tie for nine of those um and when if some other guys at work or around campus and not wearing a tie I, I just i notice it i don't know what to make of that i'm like oh do they work here or if it's someone not wearing a tie oh why aren't uh, are they like leaving early i i just mm-hmm. notice it and i don't mean to but with that comes some probably some judgment or like well why doesn't he have to wear it or what who does he Hmm. think he is i mean i don't i don't actually get worked up but i'm saying the fact that i notice it probably points to that's not that's you're supposed to be wearing a tie if you're part of us if you're in in the crowd and yeah yeah, it is no no, you're right it's get in line but i'm actually going to argue that that sound that sounds automatically negative but i think there's like that's pretty cool that's pretty good for an institution who has like now brainwashed me? <laughs> These are all negative words. But like, <laughs> have me bought into the. the You're making like, it easy just, for me. I don't even have to. I'm contribute. using loaded terms, but I think the real the real case like is there like uh, there's buy-in uh, and there's uh, uh, a sense of culture, and when someone's outside that culture, it's like uh, also, uh, it. I think there's some principle of faithful in the small, faithful in the big. Like it's it's. There's some concrete, hey, buddy, you're not, you haven't been wearing your tie to work for a couple of days. Can we go ahead? Like, that's the rebellion might begin at like not wearing a tie and it gets nipped in the bud early. But if you can be very, very casual, your rebellion might slip into being late to work instead. Uh, and so, and that's actually the utility of curse words in kids, right? Kids don't aren't supposed to curse and then they get in trouble for cursing instead of sneaking out at night it's a safe whereas the kid that is allowed to curse in the redneck family who has no boundaries they're cursing early on and they're doing crazier things earlier like that 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 seems to follow so that that could be an added benefit yeah i mean i see what you're saying but to me it sounds a little bit contrived like when you were saying how you know a benefit of dressing up is that it's so nice to not dress up you know when you're when you code switch to go drink with friends or when you come home after a busy day to take off your dress clothes 
that's contrived, right? Because now you could eliminate the problem totally by not dressing up in the first place. Uh, and well, I'm just saying it's like working at home and you should, you probably don't do all your office work from your bed. You probably reserve that for like a s- sacred space, like coming off from work and taking, it's an additional layer of I'm no longer working and it feels like something. It is contrived. I guess it's contrived. It's, contrived. it's useful. I, well, I mean, the, the analogy, you know, with the bed doesn't exactly apply because there are practicalities to working in your bed, you know, like you don't have a desk for one thing. I mean, I'm sure you could get some kind of lap desk thing and work in your bed and to you know full disclosure i have worked from my bed before um usually when i'm traveling uh and you know i have my laptop and i sit in my bed and i do my work on my bed but it's not as convenient as a desk but like in terms of dress you know since i work from home i don't i mean it's as easy i wear my the same pants that i sleep in i have some like athletic shorts that i sleep in and that's what i wear during the day too because there's no need to there's no need to change into anything else. And, you know, unless I'm going out somewhere. Uh, and even then, but, I, I could wear these pants if it's warm out. Uh, but but just in the fact that we like systems and clear delineation, and it's neat to be like, I think working from home, one of the costs, and it, you might say it's a small cost, but I think it, it this could be different for each person. But like, I like transitioning from a going to work and coming home. I like uh, uh, it feels like I was at work and now I'm at home and I would I imagine it gets a little bit blurry of like you're you're working and then you shut the computer I mean it's efficient you're done with work like and now you're in the same space in the same clothes in the same it's just like okay well do, are there uh, uh, triggers or are there like signposts? I don't know what to say, but like, are like, how does it start to feel like you're off work? I mean, you're not doing work is the very obvious, and that's the most, and that's the primary thing is like, well, you're not at doing work anymore, and you transition to whatever video games, calling a friend, going out, I don't know, but um, I'm playing Bonanza, just uh, playing post, Bonanza, post work Bonanza sort of game. So um, and that that like how useful is it to like it, it is contr- I look I I can't sit here and say this is pivotal information like you need to take off a tie in order to enjoy being off work that's crap right that's not a strong argument but mm-hmm. uh, it is uh, it's like for me like a Friday afternoon the first drink I have after a long week like that like I earned that freaking drink like. Uh, that's a neat feeling of, uh, and it isn't about the drink as much as it's about the Pavlovian, like, I'm off, I'm, like, I, I completed the week. Yeah, Here you I, go. yeah, I certainly understand that. And it sounds to me akin to, you know, it's a, it's a psychological technique. Maybe you could even call it a coping technique, you know, I mean, in the same way that, you know, there's a spot for your wallet, there's a spot for your shoes. And yes, things, yes. You have these the routines. satisfaction of the that. Yeah, you have these routines that you put in place in order to um, in order to I guess ritualize or or impose a routine upon your behavior. And so by taking off the tie, you're psychologically getting into the headspace of not at work anymore. And so yeah. it's a, it's a routine that you engage in. So I can definitely understand that. But I'll tell you from my experience working from home. Like it was actually a concern of mine when I started working from home that, you know, the lines between home and work would be blurred. And, you know, in most of my career, I've kept a very sharp distinction between work and home. And now with them in the same physical space, you you would think that that might be a little bit more blurry and that perhaps 
you know, my work would uh, sort of seep into my home life or, or vice versa. But actually, I think the distinction, the taking off the tie moment, like that's something that we create for ourselves. Like we, we construct that and we institute that signal, you know, psychologically in our brain. So I actually think shutting the computer can be just as effective of, of a signpost as taking off the tie. And, and it has pretty much been that way for me. I don't even close my computer, actually. I just, when my, you know, when my clock hits 5 p.m., you know, and I've got all my work done, essentially, it's like, okay, done with work. And, you know, I leave my desk and... Is that a moment for you? Can you even visually, like, in some way see that that 5 p.m. and you're like, "Uh, that's a a nice thing to see from 4.59 to 5. I'm just curious, what is your tie-taking-off moment, you know? Yeah, I mean, Uh, I, uh, you know, my work, uh, my situation is uh, a little bit, a little bit different because, you know, I'm in a different time zone than some of my coworkers. So there is a little bit of blurriness, but essentially when I see it hit 5 p.m., I know that I'm not going to be on the hook for uh, for anything after this point. You know, if I it's kind of like bonus work. If I do something after 5 p.m., then it is uh, something that I'm doing to get ahead of things, um, and and you know I can I can offset that later in the week. So when 5 p.m. hits, it is a relief because I go ah now no one can expect me to do anything. In fact, if I do anything now, I'm exceeding expectations. You understand kind of what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I like that. So yeah, it is a relief to, to see that there. Um, but yeah, back to the topic of, of dressing up, like, I mean, I, we've hit all the main points, but like, to me, I think the authenticity thing is very important. And then like, if you can, if you can get to that point, or even if you can get to the point where you can say after a long period in your career, it's just a nothing, you know, you just put on the clothes because that's what you do. Like at that point, I think the inherent negatives of dressing up that they're more expensive that they're usually less comfortable um those sorts of things then tip the scale to where okay maybe maybe we shouldn't maintain this sort of thing like that's my my main complaints with dressing up are you know the expense of getting the clothes the fact that you dress up rarely oftentimes means that the clothes that you have maybe they're old and they don't fit well um, you know, a lot of my a lot of my distaste for dressing up is maybe it's some mild insecurity that this is un these clothes are unusual. So yeah, I don't know how I look in them. You know, the fact that it's, I have the fact that I have casual clothes and I wear them all the time and people see me in them all the time and they never you know look I at think, me and say wow look at the way he's dressing that means that my casual clothes are comfortable and normal. But when I wear fancy clothes, I don't know what the response might be and so there's some question of am i doing this right like does is this gonna look okay do you understand what i'm saying yeah do because i don't ever wear polos i have one polo and it like sits in the uh closet and i put it on last night actually and Hmm. uh and it just because my self-image doesn't that they a polo doesn't fit in that it looked just like this doesn't look right uh and you know, Danielle affirmed it was fine. She's like, it looks good, actually. I really like it. You should wear more of these. But I'm looking at it and going, this legitimately looks weird. And like, mm-hmm. it's just self-image things, I think. we. And I, I believe her because I'm being honest. Like, there was nothing weird inherently about it. But it, except for the just, like, I don't wear this strange, like, 
self-image of I don't wear polos, so polos look goofy on me. Even though I don't think polos look goofy on other people, they just look normal. Um, so <laughs> I yeah. do understand that. Yeah, I, I also that. think... I have that same response with like sunglasses, for example. Like, I think sunglasses look really goofy on me, so I never wear. And they probably sunglasses. don't, right? They just probably don't. They're just freaking sunglasses. It's just you don't identify as a sunglass wearer. Sunglasses <laughs> guy. Yeah, I don't identify that way. Um, and maybe the the a solution that would like, or where you and and Jordan Peterson could could agree whole wholly is like maybe it shouldn't be like for the workplace, but maybe people get dressed up all the time like more often to go out casually but when i say casual weird i shouldn't say casually to go out socially to important things oh it's a a a dinner date with my wife of 15 years but this is important to me it's a dinner date i value our relationship i'm getting dressed up or i'm going to see jordan peterson and i value uh like his words and like what we're the the business we're engaged in here uh and Mm -hmm. so so we're just more often putting on uh getting dressed up for for going out uh might be an interesting way to do it hmm. well yeah we're, we're gonna be getting dressed up soon for a friend's wedding yeah that's, that's kind of what made me start thinking about this because like you know I, I haven't dressed up i probably haven't dressed up in like legitimately years like I, I probably haven't worn i mean i've had to go to like some work meetings where i had to wear you know like a polo and some khakis or something but yeah. th- that's pretty that's pretty tame for uh for polo that would be business casual yeah business casual right and so uh having to actually and even this wedding is not a super fancy you know this wedding we're going to is not it's not a black tie or anything no it's not super fancy thank goodness thank goodness (laughs) i would have to object um but uh but yeah so i've been dressing up has kind of been on my mind a little bit i've been thinking about it so i thought it would be an interesting thing to talk about One, one one last point um before we wrap up, uh, there's a distinction in dressing up. We'll we'll see what you think about this, but men and women, for men and women, dressing up is different. Like, I wonder if you have any thoughts on, you know, in the workplace, the dress, the dress expectations for women versus men. To to me, it seems like, it seems like men have the worst end of this bargain, right? Like men, there's an expected dress for dressing up for men, which is a suit. A suit and tie, yes. and that's what you're expected to wear. Whereas for women, the, the number of different kinds of shoes, and you know, they could wear a pantsuit or a dress of any number of kinds, a skirt, bis- all kinds of different outfits. It, it could theoretically, wear. like, you, you, yeah, there's no clarity with women, so that's actually where it can be frustrating. But for women, I imagine you're like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and uh-huh. it, it's easy for us to say that I, I agree that, like, okay, well, we have clearly. We just have clear parameters and they seem to be more uncomfortable. So that sucks. But the clarity makes it just easy. Mm-hmm. Women have to go, well, what does this mean and how nice is it? And they and that's why it's like, oh, well, what do I wear? And all the things that come along with that socially, uh, all the silliness even. It's yeah. just like, oh, my God. But I will look at people that work. I have to wear a tie and clearly some female teachers are, are not, not at the equivalent of that. They just mm-hmm. aren't. Uh, but they're also not wearing like a t-shirt and, you know, like some sweatpants either. So, but like, you'd think like there'd be some hard and fast rule, like no open toed shoes, but then there's like totally fancy open toed female shoes, like, you know, all the time. So I just don't get it. I have no idea. I have no clarity. And, uh, I mean, I guess there's a feel for it. You can look and go, that's not 
come on, that is not business or is it? Like, and so I mean, that lack of clarity is actually the more frustrating. Like I, I wouldn't like that as a female. Imagine just being told like where I'm just like, okay, we're a tie or not. Like, just, <laughs> like that, there's no guesswork there. So why do, why do you think that distinction exists? Like, is it because like, here's my theory is that, you know, traditionally, you know, decades ago, women didn't work, you know, they weren't in the workplace. It was male dominated uh, workplaces. And then when, yeah. when, when women started to enter the workplace, they weren't wearing suits like men because that wasn't what women's fashion was. Right. That's and manly so or whatever. I, I actually think maybe it was because men were a little uncomfortable with women entering the workplace and they felt that it was a sensitive topic. And so they didn't want to impose like dress rules exactly. They were like, okay, you're here. Like, let's just, let's have this sort of squabble be over with. Like you can just wear what you think looks nice. And so it was kind of a lack of imposition of rules on women because it just, it did, it almost didn't matter. Like it almost, it, this is all, I'm pulling this all out of my butt, of course, but like it could possibly even support my theory that at the underlying root of things, there, what you wear to work isn't all that important. Like as long as, as long as you're not looking like a slob. So it's kind of like, listen, we're not going to make you wear a suit and tie as long as, you know, you you put some effort in and whether that's a dress or a pantsuit or skirts or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, what, do you think it that's even, weird, even possible? Um, well, yeah, I, I might not have been the men's attitude of let's not impose and start another squabble. It might've been a lack of conversation. Okay. Women are coming in the, and when they came in the workplace, they didn't immediately come to the high positions. They came as like secretaries and oh. things like that. And so they, it's like, they might've even been, Hey, just, it could have been still this sort of like, hey, look cute, look sexy. And so they wear like dresses and like oh, they yeah. did their yeah. hair and makeup. And then it was like, well, we need to challenge that. It's not your job isn't to look cute and sexy. It's to look professional. And then men really just didn't have much input. Like, what do we know about like professional women dress? Like we're pretty clueless. I yeah, would there's, say. Not like, even, I, there's not even such a thing as a professional they, woman. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Like yeah, if that if that was not previously conceptualized, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> uh, um, or are you just saying now there isn't? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just making I'm just making a a, a general a, claim, right? a general sexist joke. observation. Yeah, okay, an observation. Got it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just I'm just. Kidding. But if that but if that had not been conceptualized, it's like okay, well, and you like, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of lack of parameters. I think you're probably right. It's just maybe not the speculation of men trying to impose. It yeah, was just like yeah, I don't yeah. know what. Yeah, I just no one knows. It's like new. It's new enough that it still doesn't have. It would have been weird if you said, "Okay, well, if you're coming to wear it, just wear a suit as well." And especially like, I mean, honestly, well, honestly, that's what should have happened, right? I mean, like, yeah, yeah, that's what should have happened. It should. More. It should have been professional. If this is what professional dress is, and women are now in the workplace, then women now wear suits just like just like men. Um, yeah. But instead, like it has, like it's. Just or, or here's the but a suit was so tied maybe, to masculinity. Maybe when women came I into guess. the workplace and it became, yeah. But but maybe when women came into the workplace and we started to have a variety of business dress that was acceptable for women, maybe men should have taken that cue and brought back some other traditional men dress stuff like capes and cloaks and canes and top hats, <laughs> ascots and. Other things that were fancy, fancy in the past for men. And monocles. Now we, monocles. Now we have a variety of fancy clothes 
that we can wear. That sounds like a better future to me. Like where now, you know, you're not restrained by just wearing, you know, picking like all the variety you get is, do you want a Navy suit or a black suit or a gray suit? And what color tie do you want? And maybe the radicals can wear a bow tie or a pocket square. Maybe, maybe a pocket square, but instead you can choose, you know, okay, do I want a wooden cane or do I want an Eagle head on my cane or, you know, left eye monocle, (laughs) right eye monocle. Like you have many more choices and think about the variety of business looks that you could present like wouldn't that be such a better world like and you could fulfill your teacher superhero teacher role to like an extreme degree like i would love it some vests and some uh, pocket watches with dangling chains and dangly chain pocket watches would be perfect for your look yeah uh i would totally go almost a steampunk type of route with top hats and and oh man yeah no i that's exciting to me yeah so i mean is now the time like now that we're you know we've we've regressed into casual attire everywhere like is now the time to to make a new foray into men's business dress i could make it the time yeah <laughs> like, I, think why not? Should. I think maybe we should have a two-front social progress uh initiative you know bonanza on one front and men's <laughs> really capes, the bonanza. <laughs> capes capes and cloaks and you know and such on on the other front and like we could you know, we could change the world like actually of all the social issues to focus on i think we may have found the top two i <laughs> i saw something fairly i thought it was fairly charming this uh couple danielle showed me on tiktok they just they dress they tiktok really makes you uh they dress like they're from the 40s or 30s and they're not going out they're not it looks like they're ready for a street performance or something right like it looks like it's going to be a show and then it's just not it's just how they dress uh and i was like that's that's kind of neat and they probably have to custom order clothes and it's probably an an expensive investment slash hobby but like I, i really Sorry, like, I'm, I'm going to try not to be cynical about that, but I'm going to fail because honestly, that sounds like two people desperate for attention, trying to be quirky and then taking pictures of it and posting it on TikTok to get affirmation of their their really lame peers. It, I mean, there's probably some truth to that, but I really liked the clothing style. Like the, I liked 40s and 30s and 20s and yeah, these, yeah, these yeah. sorts of, uh, the, the, it was striking. Uh, yeah, they were not an attractive couple, and it was clear to me that they had to, but that they valued that. And they wanted yeah, this to was be their thing. So. This was their thing. This was their to stand thing. Out. It became their thing. That, I mean, yeah. that part of it, like that part, I understand. It's hard that. not to be your thing when you're taking a bold, radical, like that's true stance. Though it's right. just gonna be your thing. So. I mean, I agree with you about fashion. You know, fashion of decades past, like it is striking. Um, and you know, there were some. I mean, even even you know, outside of fashion, when it comes to like automotive design and appliance design and stuff like there was yeah. some sh- striking designs back then that were you know, more curvy in a way kind of art deco sort of things um that are cool looking yeah, like and, and we've stuff, just kind yeah. of cookie we've cookie cutterized a lot of a lot of things cookie cutterized yep it's a word i made just now <laughs> all um, right that's it that is uh, all i that that's is it. all that is the end goodbye um, uh, goodbye <laughs> uh, it's over. Goodbye. <laughs>